This is Good Morning NoCo with Brian Carey and Tanner Schwint on Northern Colorado's Voice, 103.1 and 1310 KFKA. Well, the Marshall Fire happened well over a year ago, and we've been telling you a little bit about the recovery program and the issues that it was having well, it seems like those have cleared up. Welcome back into the Allo Fiber Studios. I'm Tanner Schwint, our co- my co-host uh, Brian Gary, Angel Padilla doing the production work for us on a Monday. Uh, a Marshall Fire Recovery Program has cleared the backlog it's been grappling with for the last seven months. The Boulder County Recovery Navigator Program connects fire survivors to resources and the more than $20 million in funding donated to rebuilding efforts. Denver News 9 reports so far the program has dispensed $6 million to more than 260 applicants. Delays have been blamed on a lack of staffing that prohibited people from getting appointments or callbacks. Inflation in rebuilding efforts seems to be the biggest challenge currently facing the program and fire survivors. Only about 40% of people who lost their homes in the Marshall Fire have applied for or received a building permit. You can get the full story at 9news.com. Was that the one? That's the Boulder one? Correct. Yeah, that, that ripped through the very nice home area where you know each home was Probably multi million. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about twenty million there. You know, it's and I don't think this is intended to, uh, you know, just buy them a new house, but it, it, it's it's a help right along right. the way. And two hundred and sixty applicants uh, there. Uh, but you talk seven months later, we're talking right now that this was this is just now where they're starting to get some of that those checks out to people. Uh, and, and that's what do you do in those seven months? I mean, if if you are, you know. A middle class family, and, and you don't have that type of money to to get rebuilt. I mean, are you still living with in laws? Are you still doing this and that? Um, seven months a long time before that money starts getting distributed. No question. It, I mean, it, big time. This is why you make sure you have the right insurance and those kind of things too that can help in these situations. But for a lot of folks, even with all that, you're just screwed. I mean, you're just in this situation where you're waiting. Uh, in this day and age, you think seven months, it sounds like a long time, but then, well, wait, I just waited like four months to get a car fixed. Yeah. So, I mean, all the the hoops that everything has to jump through and go all that when you're dealing with funding coming from government and that type of thing, that can uh, that can certainly slow things up. But I'm, I'm sure there's got to be a huge sigh of relief for some of these folks who are getting some money finally. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, well, the Greeley uh, Board of Education is back in the headlines here. A dozen protesters showed up at a church Sunday where District 6 Board of Education President Michael Matthews is the pastor holding signs that say, teach facts, not feelings. The NOCO Optimist reports a great, great piece by Kelly Reagan over at the NOCO Optimist uh, reports protesters are demanding that a series of controversial books be pulled from school library shelves. The book review committee is tasked with reading each book and making a recommendation to the superintendent on whether it stays or goes. Matthews says he's not surprised the group showed up to his church saying they've shown that they're willing to be disruptive and disrespectful. For more, go to the NOCOOptimist.com. This is that same group, Brian, that we've had issues, the community's had issues with uh, at different school board meetings, uh, taking taking uh, things over the top at those meetings, and now showing up to a church on a Sunday to protest this. Yeah, it gets a little bit crazy to me, but uh, yeah, I that that's tough to wrap my head around uh, going out and 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 protesting at the church. Yeah, where again, you if you want to make 
somebody want to read a book, tell them they can't. If you want to, you know, because yeah. I've got I've got a feeling that most of these titles nobody would have even looked at if you wouldn't have said, hey, these are bad and you shouldn't have. But I just know that as, as people, we tend to, as soon as you tell us we can't do something, we want to know why. So, you know, and then you start looking into it. So I, I think a lot of times things tend to backfire because all of a sudden now people are curious and want to find out about what you're telling me I shouldn't find out about. Right. Um, their argument about having these things pulled, uh, these protesters, their argument is that uh, because of the graphic uh, sex scenes that are in there, the board president is a pastor. Don't you think that if he was, if 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 it was at that point that bad, you know, that a leader of a church would probably be more inclined to pull it. So if he's saying, listen, we'll review it and make that decision, if this is coming from a religious aspect, the argument's kind of null and void because you've got a pastor who is also the president of the school board. Um, it's just unfortunate that this is going on for everybody involved. I get the arguments on both sides. I 100% do. I get the parents do have the right uh, to, and should monitor what their children are consuming. But this is this is a religious leader who's also, you know, uh, uh, the president of the school board. This is a pastor. Uh, I think that his judgment in this should be pretty sound uh, for be, uh, for people on both sides. And the fact that he is uh, saying we're going to do an internal review about these and then we'll decide. And we know that the book Beloved that we've talked a lot about here in the last couple of weeks will be staying on the shelves. That means that he is teaching facts and not feelings because I'm sure maybe personally, I don't know what his stance is on this. I don't know what his personal stance is on this, but, you know, being from that community, I would imagine that he may tend to lean that way. And again, I don't know. That's me speculating just from his title, right? Uh, but I, I I guess I don't understand taking this to a place of worship, and I don't understand the sign, teach facts, not feelings, because he is. He's taking his role very seriously and not going with any just personal beliefs. Yeah, I'm, I will reserve, because I haven't read any of them. Yeah. You know, I haven't read them, so I can't sit here and speak on whether a book should be, you know, available or not available when I haven't read it. That would be uh, that would be, you know, hypocritical. I'm curious, too, and I would like to do this poll among the protesters. How many of them have read the books? No, it's a really good question. So often we go off on things that, oh, but this, you know, this book, this book, you know, and all that. I'd like to know how many people who... Go to church every Sunday. I've actually read the Bible. Right. You know? Right. No, so, there's, a, there's I mean, for sure. There, there's a lot of this where we're based, but I, I'm wondering too how many. Obviously, some of them have. Yeah. And, and you know, and they may have all done it and, and seen it, and that's why they're up in arms. And maybe they've read it, read it, Brian, but do they act in the way that 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 they claim to be i guess is the way to do that is is to say that like do they actually follow uh you know in christianity i i do my best i fail at it i i will honestly say that openly i i am a christian i fail at being a good christian at times a hundred percent uh and i think a lot of people do but a lot of this is the this it's almost malice uh in the way that they're handling this and it doesn't make any sense to me if that's where they're at. If this is where, if, if this is the argument, it, it's kind of null and void. This I don't like this. I, 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 and I, 
as we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, I was kind of on their side saying, yeah, put a parental uh, consent form on it where you, if you want to check it out, your parents have to sign off that you can read that book. I was more on that side, and I just don't like this. I don't like taking this um, to to a church. Uh, there, there is, you know, kind of a, there's a reason why we have a little bit of a separation between, you know, religion and and our our schools. There's a little bit of a separation there now. It shouldn't be total because that takes out the Pledge of Allegiance. That takes out a lot of things. Uh, but I don't like taking this to that next level. Yeah. I, again, I have not read the books. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to back out of that one. Here's a story going back to 2017. A Wyoming man is arrested in connection with a fatal shooting in Weld County back in 2017. So six years later, they make this arrest. Mark Switzer was charged with first-degree murder Thursday. Mark Switzer is 71 years old. Deputies say Switzer shot and killed 49-year-old Nathan Combs in Hereford in May of 2017. Police initially believed Combs was uh, driving a semi-truck, who was driving a semi-truck, had been run over while performing maintenance on the vehicle, but an autopsy revealed gunshot wounds killed him. Forensic evidence from a search and collection of several guns and ammo in Switzer's home linked him to the murder. So six years later, they just now made this connection wow that's uh you know cold cases yeah you know and I, I always find them fascinating and uh they're able to uncover this and get in arrest i'm sure this person thought that they were uh you know scot-free yeah six years know, later, after all this time six years later on and, and you talk about hereford i mean that is that is such a small town Exactly. It is such a rural area uh, that, you know, that, that happens. And who knows how long until somebody showed up? Who, who knows? Lord knows. And it took them six years to, to, to make this connection. But this is the due diligence that we were talking about. And we had a great conversation with Havala last week from Bruno Lilly Legal about letting cops, you know, and, and law enforcement do their jobs because they do. They don't really ever give up on a case i mean you look back to the uh, the joel matthews case right i mean you look that just took over uh, the news a couple of years ago or last year and they just they don't quit on these things they want to find an answer for the family no, and for themselves when you hear the you know the officers detectives or whoever else who are involved in it you know they'll always talk about how you know this this is one of those cases that i could never let go of yeah. they get personally involved i mean it, it it bothers them when they do not find who did something an unsolved murder or crime is is something that just hangs with them mm-hmm. you know so yeah i don't think they ever let that go especially when there's a you know a victim yeah you know when there's a body in Involved. For sure. All right. Last uh, story here. News for Northern Colorado. And again, if you want a full rundown of news for Northern Colorado, check out 1310kfka.com. Bird flu. We've been talking about the bird flu that's affecting uh, this area in a big way, but it's spreading to other animals now. Brian, Colorado Parks and Wildlife officials said four dead skunks in Larimer County recently tested positive for the highly pathogenic pathogenic uh, avian influenza, according to the Colorado. And the strain has killed countless chickens, waterfowl, and raptors in what officials are calling one of the deadliest outbreaks in years. The bird flu was first detected in wild geese in March of last year. CPW officials said the transmission from birds to other mammals was always suspected, but they're uncertain what kinds of impacts could follow. At this time, they say transmission from birds to other mammals is still very low. You can get the full story at the Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, Miles Bloomhart had talked a bit about this when we had him on a couple weeks ago, that they thought they'd started to see a couple of cases of uh, of uh, animal contamination where, you know, uh, the birds, because this hadn't hadn't happened 
We thought, right? You know, and but, now uh, they've got it confirmed, and and this is we and we we know this. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while for this to run its course and get out of here. But uh, the fact that it is spreading to mammals, um, you know, for pet owners and things like that, is a little, uh, little scary. Well, the price of skunk meat is going to go through the <laughs> roof now. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> Try to get a good skunk egg now at a decent price. Uh, I can tell you. Uh, the, the tavern serves a lot of great food. Skunk is not on the menu. All right, the tavern at St. Michael's Square. Listen, uh, we were just out. We just uh, I had to go in there this weekend. Did you go in there? My wife and her friend uh, for my wife's birthday. Her friend came up, spend the night from Denver. Yeah, and uh, they repainted, redid uh, Kyla's room in the basement. Right, she loves to hang in. So they were doing all that, and my job was I had to feed them, and I was sent <laughs> on a mission to go and get wedge salads. Nice. From the tavern, I popped in there. Great folks. It was waiting for me. Took care of it. Brought it home, and I was a hero. <laughs> so thank you to Chad and the gang at the tavern. You got off pretty easily then. You damn right. That I didn't was lift w- a brush. Good I did nothing. For you, I just man. picked up a couple of wedge salads. I think you can do that. Yeah. Did you get anything for yourself while you were there, man? You get any like fish and chips or no? A I was on burger? a quick run, and I knew I'm just you, oh, I'm you. just worried about them <laughs> salads. That's good. Boom. Keep it simple. I exactly. love it. Uh, the tavern at St. Michael's Square is our coach to place uh, for hanging out, whether it's a business meeting, whether it's getting together with some friends for a couple of cocktails, uh, check out the Tavern at St. Michael's Square. 719, it's Good Morning NoCo. On North Dakota's Voice, 1031 and 1310, KFKA. Seven twenty-four. The time. How you doing with the tablet over there, Bry? Uh, it's doing much better now. You got it to work. What did you do? Not a whole lot, really. Oh, did you hear that nice little noise it just yeah, made? I did. But what, <laughs> I don't know why it's doing that. It's not coming on. Uh, what What did you do? I just opened the right app for you. But I. What was I doing wrong? I was trying to open Gmail. Yeah, you got to install that app. So I just took you to the web browser and open it up from there, and then you can take the links from there. Well, all right. Lots to know. We'll just shut that down for now. We're going to have to open it back up. Coming up later on, we'll have uh, back page news coming your way as well. Got a lot of front page news still to get to uh, throughout the course of the morning. Did you watch any of the Academy Awards last night? Yes, I did. Yeah? What were your, what was your quick, I know we're going to talk about it later, but what was your quick takeaway from it? Uh, I was uh, knocked out by the uh, musical number from RRR. Yeah. Uh, that was absolutely fantastic. And there were some cool moments. Jamie Lee Curtis winning. Yeah. Uh, was pretty darn cool to Isn't see. Isn't there controversy about whoever. Uh, because Angela Bassett didn't win. Tough crap. Yeah, she did not. She was not happy for Jamie Lee Curtis. No, and you know, and that's that's really to me really crappy. And that everyone's supposed to feel bad because they feel sad for it because she didn't win. Jamie Lee Curtis has been in it since the 1970s and has never won. She oh, got really? an award. Get over it. Yeah. I mean, my goodness. I'm sorry. And then Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors come out because that's their aunt, and then they've got kind of a sad vibe about them where they're trying to you know appease their aunt and so forth. Look, that room is full of people who did not win. 
last night. Get over yourself. No doubt. No doubt. I, mean, I did seriously. not know that. I no, will not that, watch. I, How did Kimmel do hosting it? Really good. Yeah? Yeah, I thought he was I thought he was good. Yeah. I yeah. I will not I, I it, it just does nothing for me anymore. No, and a lot of it doesn't, but I happen to have watched a lot of the movies this year and I was interested in some of the some of the stuff. Yeah. You know, so I thought I would check it out. Yeah, and I I I enjoyed uh, a lot of it and 80% of it was <laughs> Well, there's some Hollywood crap I could do without, you know. But for the most part, it had it had its moments. Yeah, everything. Uh, uh, where what is the name of it? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, That's that it. was the uh, it cleaned up. Yeah, that was the absolute big winner. And I've <laughs> talked to mixed reviews on that one. It looks some crazy. people absolutely love it. Some were just just trying to figure out what the hell it was, which yeah. was kind of the point too. But did you watch it yet? Have you watched it? No, I have not. It looks confusing to it me. It looks very confusing, and I don't know about the hot dog finger. Thing. I don't know either. <laughs> That's just weird. David Byrne of the Talking Heads came out for one of the musical performances, and it was him and another gal singing this song from that movie, and he had the wiener hands. You know, he had the the, the big hot dog fingers. That's weird. And it was just, it, it was strange. It was a horrible song, too. One of the worst musical performances I've ever heard in my life, which, of course, in today's uh, review of the show, one of the highlights was this very touching musical performance by two people who can't freaking sing. Yeah. That's, you know, I should have had them do something else. Uh, was- <laughs> this is why I don't watch those things. 728, it's Good Morning No, co-presented by Air Solutions on North Dakota's Voice. 1031 and 1310, KFK. Let's tell you guys about Water Pros. Water Pros offers the best in water filtration for less. Water Pros products are made right here in the U.S. of A, baby, in Appleton, Wisconsin. Water Pros has the solutions to remove the forever chemicals in our water supply, those bacteria, that cloudiness that you get, Brian. Oh, yeah, and you'll see, you know, some of that white deposits and all those things that'll be around. Yeah. You know, you can get rid of that if you've got good water. Yeah, good water. Take care of all that out of there. You don't have to worry about bottled water doing those kind of things. You're getting it right out of your tap. You are, and you talk about, you know, we use so much water to wash our hands, to wash our hair, to wash ourselves, right? Then uh, the, the quality of water really makes a difference. For KFK listeners only, receive a free under-the-sink drinking water filter-free with purchase of a whole house softener or conditioner. You don't want to be washing your hair with that hard water, that, that stuff that just doesn't make you feel good. You don't feel clean after no, using it. there's a huge difference. There really is. Uh, and uh, prices starting at uh, $2,495 installed. That's installed uh, for comparison and some of the competitors here in the area start you off over five grand. So you're about half off right now uh, with Water Pros. Uh, so make sure you go check them out. Uh, and we're very happy to have them here on the program. Waterpros.net. That's waterpros.net for whole home conditioning uh, and its exclusive technology. Only to them, it's been proven to be the best. We appreciate Water Pros. All right, when we come back, we'll have uh, Chris Vanderveen uh, with the Director of Special Projects for Nine News going to join us. Uh, some interesting comments from some of the people in the Denver mayoral race. Chris had his eyes on a story that I don't think is going to make a lot of national news, but it's really intriguing to me uh, about a helicopter crash that happened over the weekend. We'll talk about that next, but first, bottom of the hour news and by the center. Grab that coffee. Let's go. It's good morning. No come. 
I'm Tanner Schwent. That's Brian Gary. Hello. Hello, world. Angel Padilla doing the production work. Joining us now up on the line, it is our next guest, Chris Vanderveen, Director of Special Projects for Nine News. Chris, how are you this morning, my friend? Morning, guys. How are you? Hey, we are absolutely lovely. Yeah, you you you, you, <laughs> you rocking with this time change, Chris? Uh, no, and I'm not. I've never been historically a coffee drinker, so it's like it's got an added problem. I'm one of those weird people that's like in his late forties who um, who hasn't really had coffee most of his entire life because he doesn't really like it. It's weird. Yeah. No, I I was the exact same way. It wasn't until I turned 50-something, and I'd been a morning man for over 30 years, but I never drank coffee. Hated the taste of it. Didn't like anything about it. And now it's, uh, for some reason, I'm addicted. Well, I will say I've been able to, like, dodge most of my, pretty much all my career, that early, that dreaded early morning shift. Ah. Um and like I mean, we have we have reporters that get into the station at like two or three in the morning. I suppose I'd have to change my ways if that was the case. <laughs> um, but no, and I have to get in normal hours. I think I, I think I've made it so far. So we'll see. Yeah, see, see if that <laughs> continues, Chris. Uh, well, yep. obviously a very active uh, uh, weekend when it comes to news with the Silicon Valley, uh, you know, bank and what's going on there, North Korea, what's going on there. But I, you, you tweeted out about a story that I don't think is going to make a lot of, you know, the national news stories this morning, Chris. And it's about it's about a medical uh, helicopter crashing. Can you walk us through what you saw in this and why you thought this was kind of a big deal? Yeah, it's super interesting. So a number of years ago, we we, we did a, a lot of uh, work on heli- medical helicopters and how medical helicopters would, would go down and they would burst into flames. We had a very serious crash in, in Frisco, uh, Colorado, around 2015, where the pilot died and the flight nurse was burned over 90% of his body. And the the, re- the reason for that is that a number of helicopters in this country are equipped with really not so great, not a scientific term, but not so great fuel systems in it. And so a helicopter was, helicopters would go down, and the, everybody on board would survive the crash, only to have the fuel tank rupture. And, and because of where the fuel tanks are located in a lot of helicopters, the fuel would pour into the cockpit. And because there's already an ignition source, because the helicopter's already hot, it would then catch on flame, it catch on fire, and people inside the cockpit would suffer very serious injuries, if not fatal injuries, because of those fires. And we identified for a number of years, we worked on this project for around three years, and, and got, eventually Congress changed a law that requires now all newly manufactured helicopters to have a crash-resistant fuel system in them. And that's a big deal because what was happening is that there just wasn't a lot of pressure to change this. There's some cost associated with it. But what happened in Frisco was showed is that there needs there needed to be a change to protect a lot of people who fly in helicopters, whether they be flight nurses, flight crews, um, uh, health crews, um, police officers, all sorts of individuals that fly in helicopters. There's television news reporters who fly in, in helicopters. And so this was a big deal. And so when you see this crash that happened over the weekend, over the East Coast, excuse me, late last week on the East Coast, and it goes down and it doesn't catch on fire, that's a really big deal. And what I talked about at the beginning of it is we talk a lot in the news about bad things that happen after bad, after bad events. And in this case, a good thing happened. It doesn't undermine the severity of the crash and the injuries that were suffered, 
but in the, in the same vein, it means that those people, those people on board didn't suffer catastrophic burns. And that is a change in the industry that's been happening over the last few years as more helicopters are built with crash-resistant fuel systems on board. What is a crash-resistant fuel system? What did they do to change it? Well, it's it's simple. There's simple things that you can do to make a, a and a lot of it's a lot of it's just common sense. What was happening in a lot of older helicopters is that they have a, what what people would refer to as milk jugs, and, and think of what a like a plastic milk jug, you know, especially when we used to have them. What what they what they used to look like? They weren't. They were rather flimsy, and they would crack upon a hard landing or crash. And now you have sort of like bladders and other sort of valves that sort of like automatically close down when there's a rupture. And so it, all the system works together just to make sure that when a hard crash happens, they don't split open and then pour fuel. What, what the government has been doing, what, what uh, helicopter companies have been doing for a number of years, is they're literally drop a fuel system from a certain height and have it hit the ground and then see what happens. And that's how they were sort of gauging if a system was uh, crash resistant or not. And they've been able to sort of do this more better. With not crazy technology, the issue is, like, as we explored in our stories, the technology's been around since the 70s. It just wasn't being used. And now helicopters are forced to have it when they're newly manufactured. Sounds like David Letterman type of testing. Let's drop this off the uh, 20th right. floor you know, and see what happens. Yeah, on like it. you used to do with watermelons and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Chris, do you, right? do, you feel a, do you feel a little like sense of pride uh, knowing yeah. that, you know, I, who knows how much of a role that the reporting that you guys uh, did uh, played into this, but it was something that you sh- you've shown a spotlight on, and now we're seeing the changes that are positively impacting our world. Yeah, we were a part of a number of reporters around the country that were working on this. But when the law was introduced uh, into Congress, it really was our reports that were cited by a member of Congress as the reason, as the drive to put this forward. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, people say all they want about local reporters and how we're idiots, and how we don't know anything and how we mess things up and how we're the enemy of the people, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, this is work that reporters do. We take a look at problems, and then we push the system to potentially change it. In this case, I think this is one of those changes that undoubtedly will save lives. That is speaks to the power of journalism, too. I mean, it, it yeah. really, really does. And, you know, highlights why we need to keep having great reporters, great people who dive into things, who are doing it because of a passion to make a change, because they see something that's not right, and it's uh, up to people like you to shine that light on it so people hear about it. So job well done, Chris. Well, thanks. And it, it also shows that the, the benef- I'm the beneficiary of time. And in this industry, time is really scarce. Um, reporters don't necessarily have a lot of time. And one of the great things that I've been able to have at Nine News is time to work on stories. We worked on that story for about three and a half, almost four years, not constantly, but we were, we were continually doing updates on this. And that's, that's, you don't be, you don't, if you don't have a company or a station that believes in that kind of work, you don't get to do it. And without time, I don't think that anything really changes. We're talking with Chris Vanderveen, Director of Special Projects for Nine News. Now, this is a story that originated out of Colorado, like you were just talking about, Chris, but, uh, that that callback too. What is that something as a journalist, as a reporter, of calling back to to that segment? Because you know, they, like you said, that that's been a while ago that that was going on. And for a lot of people, you know, they they may have seen it, may have made an impact, and then it may have lost their lost you know left their minds. Uh, why why is it important to you for as a as a journalist to call back to this stuff? 
Because I think because once an issue is fixed, it, it, it's it's good for us to show that what is the net result of that project. And, and I shouldn't say it's not completely fixed. There's certainly lots of helicopters that don't have pressure system, fuel systems on board even still. But when you call into question something for a number of years, and then you can tell your audience that there's been a resolution to it, at least to some extent, and that this is a good thing, that it didn't erupt into flames, and here's why. I think there's a benefit to that because it shows the power of investigative journalism, that you can shine a light on something and something changes, and then you can highlight something for what didn't happen. And what didn't happen last last week in North Carolina was a fire that could have really been catastrophic. There's too many people, as we found in our investigation, that unnecessarily died. And there's people like Dave Repture here in Colorado, who lives in Colorado, who's a flight nurse for Flight for Life, and he was burned over 90% of his body. And this was, a, this was a case that got some attention, but there was a $100 million settlement in that case um, because of what happened to him. He burned over 90% of his body. He survived the crash. He was trying to get out of the helicopter, and that's when he burned. And he, um, along with the widow of the pilot, Karen Mahaney, really been the heroes in all this, they continue to talk about the dangers, not just of crash-resistant fuel systems, but dangers that helicopter crews face unnecessarily because manufacturers haven't been pressured enough to make things safe, and operators haven't been pressured enough to make things safe for the flight crew. So that battle still goes on. But for you ask why I bring it up, I think it's because it's important, because to some extent, at least in a small sliver, there's been a resolution. No, I, I, and I respect it. I think that's a, that's an important thing to do is to call back, uh, Chris. Uh, well, let's uh, let's switch it up just a little bit. Talk about this Denver mayoral race. Uh, are any of these candidates weeding themselves out positively or negatively? No, and I, I think that's going to be a real challenge for voters. I, I think we're we're getting really very close to the election. Ballots are going to be going out very very soon, and people are going to have to make a decision on some people that they don't know very well or just sort of names that they've heard on television ads or flyers. Certainly we've gotten a number of flyers here at our home here in Denver. And it's it's one of those things where people are going to have to make a really important decision. And I'm still, I'm still wondering, like, what's the over-under on the percentage vote that the person who gets first place is going to get and second place? Because keep in mind, this is if nobody gets fifty percent, which is all but guaranteed, there will be a runoff in a couple of months after that. And after that you have the top two people in it. And what's the percentage they're gonna get in the first round? Could it be twenty percent? Could it be less than twenty percent? Um, you have a real sort of like there's a lot of people that are within that margin of error to sort of be in the first or second row. And that means there's and it's interesting to be so close to an election and really not identify any front runner. There's people that are have money, and so you see them having television ads on the air. But is that indicative of them having support? Potentially, at least it gets their name more out there. But there's a there's a real issue coming up because there's nobody that's been able to really separate his or herself from the rest of the pack. And so it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out come election night. But you can you can all but guarantee that no one's going to no one's going to be able to say I'm the clear cut front runner after round one because it's just so hard to break break free from the pack.
Yeah, I think there's absolutely zero percent. You're going to see fifty. Like, yeah. like you were saying, if somebody's in the upper twenties, yeah, you know that's that's going to be a huge, a, a huge win. It's, I think. It's right. almost, yeah, you could see upper twenties being a landslide right now. <clears throat> I, I mean, that's that's what we're talking about, and and then being the clear cut front runner. But just because you get twenty nine percent or whatever it may be in the first round, we've seen people win that first round and go on to lose in the in the sort of the runoff. And that, that happens in Denver, too. But what's so interesting is in Denver, there's this assumption, that may or may not be true, but historically it's been true, that once you win that first election, then you're guaranteed to be in office for a while, not just for one term, but multiple terms. Um, we've seen it with Hancock. We've seen it with Hickenlooper. And so the question is, if, and that's why so many people are involved right now is that they see this opportunity is that if you don't get in now, you don't, you don't, you don't wait four years and, and run again. You may have to wait eight. You may have to wait 12 years. Uh, and that's a big deal as to in terms of people deciding when they're going to run. And that's why so many people are running right now because there's this opening that we haven't really had in a number of years here in Denver. Yeah, it is fascinating to watch and, and to to try and watch it uh, the separation take place and without people leaving their values. It, it, it's incredibly weird, to be honest with you, to to watch what's going on down there. We're talking with Chris Vanderveen, director of special projects for Nine News. Uh, Chris, what do you got your eyes on this week? Well, I think from a national perspective, it's definitely on banks, and there's going to be a lot of attention and focus on banks today because of what happened to the Silicon Valley Bank and uh, and. You know, it raises this sort of specter of, of you know, banks don't like panics. And, uh, and I'm not suggesting that a panic is worthy here, but it'll be interesting to see how not just the banks react, but the federal government already deciding over the weekend, President Biden deciding to shore up the investments, the, the um, accounts within Silicon Valley, making sure that those people are made whole. But the question is, moving forward, is there still confidence in the system? And you need a lot of confidence in the system for it to work, or a decent amount of confidence. And once people start to sort of you know, freak out a little bit, then that lends itself to some problems. And I, we're not there right now, but it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out this week. No, it will be. It's it's really interesting stuff. Uh, sometimes a little complex stuff, but you instantly start calling back to 2008 and, and things of that nature as soon as you hear about one one bank start to have these issues. Yeah, and it's interesting. You, you draw those parallels to 2008 is that you started to see some financial institutions like one after another sort of fall apart, and then you realize, oh, man, this is more serious than we thought. This doesn't appear to be that type of an incident. This, there's fundamental changes that have been made in the economy and what's different now than there was back in 2008. But living, having lived through that and remember it very well and the uncertainty a lot of people faced, it's certainly something that everyone is. So it wasn't that long ago where we had a major crisis in the economy, and people hope that we can avoid that this time around. There's a lot of uncertainty, though. And that lends itself to maybe sometimes some irrational decisions. The economy sort of flourishes on sometimes on irrational decisions. And so, yeah, we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, we certainly will. Chris, last question for you before we let you go. How do you fill out your bracket? How do you pick, a, pick your uh, March Madness bracket? Is it gut feel? Well, Is it mascots? It has to be gut feel right now because when, whenever my team, which is University of Colorado, no secret, um, whenever they're really not in it, I pay less attention during during the regular season, yeah. so I have no clue who's really good, <laughs> and I have no assumption. I will fail miserably in my brackets, but I'm still going to fill them out religiously like I do 
because sometimes there's a hope of a small amount of pride in a couple weeks from now. That's exactly right. <laughs> Amen those, to that. Those bragging rights are worth a couple of minutes to fill it out, right? Yeah, but it's just so few and far between, especially the last few years. When you don't pay attention and you have to guess, it's a very unnerving feeling. But that's where I'll be later on today. Yep. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think we're all there. Chris Vanderveen, appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for all the great work you do here uh, for all of us uh, across the state of Colorado. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Take there you care, go, Chris. Chris Vanderveen, Director of Special Projects for Nine News uh, here this morning. 7.53 the time. It is Good Morning NOCO presented by Air Solutions. Let's get the latest in the tech world. Here's Kim Commando. Almost right on cue with our conversation there with Chris Vanderveen. President Joe Biden today told Americans the nation's financial systems were safe, seeking to project calm following the swift and stunning collapse of two banks that prompted fears of a broader upheaval. Your deposits will be there when you need them, he said. U.S. regulators closed the Silicon Valley Bank on Friday after it experienced a traditional bank uh, a traditional bank failure uh, that, that you know we haven't seen in quite some time, Brian. Uh, so it's, it's The old traditional bank failure. Uh, yeah, the traditional bank run. Uh, Silicon Valley, is, is that really a place? Yeah, that's where all the tech companies are. And that's, I thought it yeah. was just like a nickname for an area. Is no, it actually called It's an that? actual place in California. It's called Silicon, Silicon Valley. Valley. I, right? thought it was, I thought that was just what they called it because that's where all people had fake boobs. <laughs> oh and they were made out of that. I seriously did. And, that's, and I thought this bank was where you went to, to no, that's a get real place. finance for it. Silicon Valley is a real place. Okay. Uh, uh, but uh, depositors rushed to withdraw their funds all at once. It's the second largest bank failure in U.S. history behind only the 2008 failure of Washington Mutual. But the financial bloodletting was swift. New York-based Signature Bank also failed. Uh, so... Uh, I hope, and we're going to know when we talk with Tracy Axton here coming up in a couple of minutes, what the markets, how the markets are reacting to that. Uh, but it's, I, I hope this doesn't spread because that's the last thing that we need as they're trying to, what's the analogy we're talking about with the inflation and stuff like that? We're trying to fly this plane and have a nice smooth landing. Something like this does not, uh, does not help that scenario. No, I never, bank failure doesn't usually equal good. No, it does not. Yeah. Very very well stated. Why Thank you, you. Why use lot word if you were do trick? Exactly. <laughs> Hour number three coming up. We'll talk with Kelly Pryor, uh, uh, part of United Way of Wealth County. On the other side, it's Good Morning NOCO on Northern Dakota's Voice, 1031 at 1310 KFK.